You are listening to the Reality Steve podcast with your host, Reality Steve. He's got all the latest info and behind the scenes juice on Katie's upcoming season of The Bachelorette and interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. Now, here's Reality Steve. What's up, everybody? Welcome to podcast number 235. I am your host, Reality Steve. Got a very interesting and good podcast for you today with comedian, actress, social media personality, and author, Manon Matthews. If you haven't heard this story, you might want to stick around for it. It is an unbelievable story about her and her ex-husband. You don't want to miss this. We'll get to that momentarily. A couple things to get to in Bachelor Nation. As you know, the men of this season were officially released by the ABC website. As you know, back in March, before filming starts, they're starting to, for I think this is like six, seven, eight seasons in a row now, they release the men and the women, the the possible men and women that could be on the next season, and then usually three to four end up not making the final cut. Well, back in March, you remember, they released 34 men on Katie's season. I posted them all on my Instagram. They're still up there on both my highlights and my Instagram feed, all 34 with their first and last names and their Instagram accounts. And as we saw ABC release this week, they released 29 men on Katie's season and then one mystery man. When it first came out on, what was it, Tuesday or Monday? I had said that the five men, just doing the math, knowing which 34 I had posted or that they had posted back in March, and then the 29 that were on the site, clearly you subtract the five that weren't there, and I was able to give you those. I just assumed that was, I I wasn't paying attention to the box. I didn't see that when they released that. I didn't realize there was one guy missing, that they were basically saying, no, she has 30 guys, but one of them we're not going to reveal to you until you see the first night, because he arrives in um, in a box. So that you know, mini spoiler here, that is James Bonsall, and that is, he is up on my Instagram page. So those are her 30 guys, and technically she has 31 this season because we know Blake Moynes from Clarentatious season shows up a little bit later on into the season. So just wanted to make that clear because I initially said James Bonsall was cut and didn't make the cut, and um, he does because he is the one who arrives in the box with the ribbon on it. The other thing is that I, I, I feel like I need to say this every season, although I thought a lot of people knew this by now, but don't be put off or don't be reading too much into the bios and their jobs. I hope you realize by now, 42 seasons in, they're just doing this to get a rise out of you. Um, some of these aren't their real jobs. Some of these aren't even their real answers. They just put that in there so people will talk about it. <laughs> and it's just... It's just all part of signing this contract. They can do whatever they want to your character because the things that are in those bios for years and years and years, I've had contestants tell me, I never even wrote that. That was, I never put that in my bio anywhere. And they just throw shit in, you know, to set up storylines, to set up, oh, this guy's a, a, a whatever, you know, I'm the first one that pops in my head is dog lover, you know, for, for Kelly Travis from Juan Pablo season. And it's like, that's not a job. It's like, yeah, we know it's not a job, but they put it there so everyone will be like, oh my God, this girl's job is dog walker, dog lover. It's just like, come on. But that's what they do. 
And so I wouldn't read too much in uh, to the ABC bios on that. And what else happened in uh, Bachelor Nation? Nothing too new this week other than, you know, the release is kind of a big deal. People like going over the bios. Jimmy Kimmel did it. You know, usually it's been Chris Harrison on a, a Twitter live that does it this year because Chris is not part of Katie's season. They did it on Jimmy Kimmel's show, and he did it. And they talked about the guys, and I know a lot of the podcasts are going over the guys' bios. It's just something that 42 seasons in, it and, and knowing that a lot of these contestants don't even – it, it, it that's not even what they filled out. It's like, I'm not going to waste time going over the bios of these guys. All you really care about is what they look like anyway, you know? Um, so maybe I'll do some lookalikes or mention that in the column this season. Because some of these guys definitely look like people. I just need to sit down and actually study it a little bit more. Because, again, for a while there, I wasn't even paying attention to KD's season in terms of the guys that, you know, the 34 guys, I was just like, I couldn't put faces with names when that first promo came out. I'm like, oh, yeah, who's this guy? And outside of a few, I didn't really know a lot of them. So we know she starts with 30 guys on the first night. And Blake Moynes shows up, I believe, in episode three. And um, as you know, by the spoilers last week, if you didn't hear it, turn the volume down for the next 10 seconds, but Blake Moynes is minimal Final Four. And if you're in the Final Four, that means you have a 25% chance of being the guy that Katie is engaged to. I have not found out who Katie is engaged to yet. I do not know. Heard things, but obviously on something like the ending, I'd like to be a little more solid, a little more confirmed. Um, The only thing I do know is that she is engaged. So, um... I think there's a there's there's some things out there that I have to look into a little bit more, and I will do that. But um, that's about it for Bachelor Nation. We're only a couple weeks away. June seventh is the premiere date, and uh, we'll get going from there. Any other spoilers I get, I will relay to you. But I want to get started with podcast number two thirty five with Man and Matthews. If you don't know, and I you know I've followed Man for a couple of years now on social media. Because I think her content is really smart and really funny, and I just appreciate good content on social media. And I had never spoken to her before. I just reached out when this summer, actually not this summer, a couple months ago I reached out because I heard her tell her wedding story on a podcast. And I was like, holy shit, like this is some next level bullshit that she went through. And... You just got to hear the story, and I'm I'm glad to have her on. Gets a couple impressions in there that you'll hear in this uh, podcast. Uh, very funny, and just an amazing story of of what she went through uh, back in 2020. So here we go, podcast number 235. Okay, let's bring her in. Uh, she is a comedian. She's an actress. She's a social media personality, and most recently. Uh, Last summer, she is now an author as her book, Funny How It Works Out, Personal Stories and Lessons on How I Got My Shit Together. It's Manon Matthews. Manon, how are you? I'm really good. How are you doing? Very good. You have a fascinating career that I became aware of, 
I want to say a year and a half, maybe two years ago. And honestly, I don't even remember how I found you. Obviously, it was on Instagram. I saw somebody's or one of your videos I came across, thought it was funny. I can't remember which one, sorry. Uh, but I, I was like, this is funny. I want to follow her. And so I did. And I've followed you ever since. And I've just been interested. I've always been a fan of comedy and interested in comedy. And then looking at some of your background stuff, I find it really interesting. So I want to start out where you started out, which was kind of Vine was your thing. Like you were big on Vine. And from what I read, it was a Kristen Stewart impersonation that kind of put you on the map that went viral, correct? Yes. Okay. So you were you were doing Kristen Stewart. It went viral. Okay, so Vine all of a sudden gets bought out and goes away. What were your feelings at that time? Were you freaked out, wondering, oh, shit, I, I have a giant following here. What do I do next? Yeah, I mean, I definitely freaked out later. It was like a delayed freak out. I had a feeling that it wasn't going to last almost the whole time. So like I had up to 3 million followers and I was like, this isn't going to last. I don't know. It just didn't feel permanent. Um, but I didn't do my due diligence and like get a YouTube channel and, you know, transfer all my followers. I, I kind of just embraced it at the time, lived in the moment, really enjoyed it, continue making six second videos. And then it literally went away. I thought maybe like, Oh, when they, I just, I, I didn't know it was actually going to just disappear. And so literally those 3 million followers vanished and it didn't, maybe I was in denial. I don't know, but I was like, it's fine. You know, I'm so glad that I have some followers over here and it is what it is. And, you know, trust the universe and all that. And then it wasn't until like a year later where I was like, this sucks. Cause I, cause it, it's hard to grow on Instagram, at least for me, like I've been doing it since 2013 and just in comparison, I've been doing TikTok for a year and I have 1.4. I've doubled the following yeah. um, on TikTok. So Instagram is a different beast and it's it, it's built over time, my frustration and my disappointment of losing those 3 million followers and feeling like I could have done something differently um, as far as like, you know, transfer those fo- and kept those followers and transferred them to YouTube and started blogging and really like um, expanding my career in that way. So I definitely freaked out not all at once but elongated i'm still freaking out about it (laughs) (laughs) i mean you you strike me as someone who was always destined for something in comedy like when you were growing up as a child middle school high school i get the impression that you were like the class clown you were always making people laugh is that true yes okay um when i first transferred schools i wasn't i was really really shy and uncomfortable because i didn't know anybody but slowly but surely my personality came out and i definitely i mean i i was nominated for both best eyes and class clown and they came to me and they had me choose and i asked somebody else i said which one would you want it they were like best eyes so i choose (laughs) best eyes but i regret it to that day because now i can't walk around saying i'm class clown you know that was it's silly, but it's technicality. But yeah, I was definitely like cracking jokes um, when I felt safe. It's so weird because I feel like there's two sides of me where it's like there's this sensitive, you know, really tender, porous girl that's an only child and lost in the world and is looking to feel connected. And then there's a side of me that's like the camera's on. And I go wacky and I'm big and dancing and all these things. So it's an interesting balance. Yeah, and you're someone that comes across to me as well that doesn't isn't easily embarrassed because you're from you know from what I've witnessed on, on Instagram and your TikTok, you're 
you're also into the very into the physical humor. Like you have no problem making weird faces and stuff like that. And that's not and that's not what a lot of female comedians do. It's more of just, you know, stand up and um, tell jokes. But you are very into your comedy. And I can tell you really sell a lot of the stuff that you do, which I think is is great because you just don't see that a lot anymore. I don't think physical comedy isn't really around much anymore, at least that I see. Yeah, no, I've, I've been doing face. I, it's, it's hard for me not to, like I've been around people where literally they'll be making a face and I'll mirror them. And they're like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> like, and sometimes they're not even making a face. It's just their face. And I'm try- like, I can't help, but become the people I'm around mm. physically. It's so weird. Like I'm just really impressionable or sensitive or something. So I've been doing faces and impressions. Like my first impression was I was like six and I came into the kitchen and I was like, mom, guess who I am? And I did a face and she goes, oh my God, that's Ryan from across the street. And she laughed so hard. And so like she nurtured that part of me and I, w- I just had this capability of, you know, I don't know how not to make faces. I don't know how not to um, copycat somebody's voice. It's so weird. Like to, to sit still and to not do that would feel like I'm going against nature. Interesting. If that makes sense. Well, when you yeah. were, when you decided on a career in, in comedy, I don't know at what point it was, but growing up, I'm sure middle school, high school, college age years. Who were some of your comedic inspirations? Oh, of course. You know, Jim Carrey, Ace Ventura is the first like intro to it. Lucille Ball. I love Lucy, of course. Like I get compared to her a lot. And I think maybe she, you know, I gathered a lot of what she was doing when I was a young girl. Um, Robin Williams is like everything to me. Kristen Wiig uh, in my late teens mm-hmm. when she came about, Maya Rudolph, all those um, SNL people. I mean, all of them. I mean, it wasn't so much stand up as it was that, you know, physical parody slapstick yeah. humor that really tickled me because it feels universal, that type of comedy. Well, you know, when, you know, in reading, you've obviously studied at some of the best comedic places out there Second City, the Groundlings, UCB. Like, you've done all of that. So, you mentioned mm-hmm. Saturday Night Live there. Has that ever been a goal for you? <laughs> uh, yeah. Since, yeah. I could, okay. since I first saw the show, I was like, that's my destiny. Yeah. And, you know, I've, I've always thought about that. That's every other comment on my Instagram is, uh, when are you going to be on that show? Unfortunately, I don't have any power over whether they choose me. I've sent in tapes. Um, you know, I'll, I'll keep doing it. And in the meantime, I'm just lucky to have a platform to where I don't have to wait to be seen or to create. I get to do it regardless if somebody chooses me. I get to choose me. You know what I'm saying? But absolutely, it's been a long time dream. Yeah. No, I mean, that's something that, you know. And have you you ever had a tryout or no? Not in person. Just just tapes. Oh, just tapes. I think, you know, I mean, obviously, that seems to be, especially since we know so many alums have come from Second City and Groundlings and UCB that have ended up on Saturday Night Live. Like, that is the route. Obviously, you're on – it's not like they don't know about you or whatever, but there's – obviously, it's a, it's tough. There's what? 13, yeah. 13 I mean, cast members? Like, they've only got a certain amount. I mean, my, I was just in class with uh, – in Groundlings with Chloe Feynman, who's now on SNL. Yeah. She's killing it. But we, we you know – we were in class together at Groundlings and Writing Lab, and then next mo- next breath, she's right there, and I'm like, dang, it's it's so weird now to be in a situation where I know people on these shows, and I'm like, dang, like, you know, the world's so small, but it's also I know it's big, but it's also like small, and if you can get in that, it's great, and at the same time, it's like, you just never know what they want, 
the same, you know. Yeah. Know. No, and and Chloe is obviously starting to blow up. Um, I think she really kind of took off during the pandemic when they were doing the sketches from home, and she did that one. It was like. She did a three-person impression for those master classes, and it was it was Britney Spears, it was uh, the Tiger King lady, and then somebody else that I'm <laughs> that I'm blanking on, and it yeah. seemed like that went viral for her because at that point, I think that was her first season of Saturday Night Live. So it starts in what October, and then March hits, and the pandemic hits, and they start doing skits from home, and she you know she was new. And she hadn't really gotten her feet wet yet. We we knew she was on the show, but she hadn't really had um, any any character that the audience could connect to yet. And then she did that, and it's like, oh my god, this girl's great at impressions. And uh, yeah, she's great at impressions. She works really really hard, and she's very current. Yeah. with her impressions, which is amazing. Yeah, I thought her Britney stuff was was great. I. I got a kick out of that. Um, I love, I mean, yeah, Brittany, her stuff. <laughs> I mean, I just saw a thing on, um, I just went to Brittany's page because occasionally I'll check in and see how she's doing. And she, yeah. she literally was reading off of a paper. You could tell because she kept looking at it and she's like, Hey guys, um, so many of you have asked uh, how um, I'm doing. And I just want you to know that I'm okay. And you're like, no, you're not. You're not okay. I feel, I want someone to check in on her and, and, Cause I just, I grew up with her. I, that's what I danced to in front of the mirror. That's yeah. how I learned to dance basically is watching Britney Spears and NSYNC. Yeah. I mean, I, I follow Britney and a couple of times, especially during the pandemic where she says, you know, I'm going to answer your questions and I'm like, okay, this could be good. And she's like, you guys want to know what my favorite color is? I'm like, no, these aren't the questions. That no, no one. <laughs> Come on, Brittany. <laughs> like, no one's asking that. What's your favorite car? Like, no, Brittany, this no. is not. I get what you're doing, but this is not what we want to hear. You're trying to deflect. We're not dumb. <laughs> we see you. Yeah. Um, and then she'll post the same picture three times in a row. And I just don't. Three times that. in a row. More like <laughs> 10 times 80. in a row. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's like, and then she'll. She'll be sure to tell us, like, these are without filter, and oh my god, these were these aren't filtered. I'm like, oh gosh, Brittany, yes they are. Um, yeah. But you know, I mean, I, I look, I, I I'm sure you watched the, I did documentary on her, which is, which was great and also sad at the same time because yeah. it's amazing. I mean, that was I don't know. 10 years ago and the things that were acceptable then that aren't acceptable now it's it's amazing uh the things that she got asked uh, how she was treated by the media hell i just actually um i record saturday night live every week um sometimes i'll watch it live sometimes i'll watch it you know sunday morning and i've watched saturday night live ever since junior year of high school i don't think i've missed an episode and i've seen the britney one probably five to ten times over the years when it was on comedy central and stuff like that but i i still record it well they run that one hour show where they condense it um which runs on saturday night from central time from 9 to 10 and then it airs from 10:30 to 12 well the britney one ran like um one of the britney ones ran about 3 weeks ago and i watched it and literally in her monologue I, do you remember this? Her monologue where no. she came out, um, and this was right around the time of the Justin stuff, and she was—I think she was with Justin at the time. But um, in her monologue, she comes out and she says, "You know, a lot of people talk about the fact that I have fake boobs, and I just want to tell you, it's not true." And then her boobs start moving. Obviously, she had some mechanical things put in. Like that would never happen right now 
um, in any sort of comedy. But that was like acceptable to talk about Britney Spears' body in whatever it was, 2010. I don't even know what year that was. But just looking back on that now and then seeing that and then watching that documentary, it is it is sad. And obviously something's going on that we're not aware about. Um, with the father and the conservatorship, I, it's it's all confusing to me. I don't really get it, the whole thing of she's a she's what mid-30s how is she not able to make decisions for herself i don't i don't get it somebody's doing something they probably shouldn't be there um but anyway back to um (laughs) sorry i got a little tangent there um because i'm a britney fan too and when you told me you grew up dancing to britney i'm like yeah i get it um i mean she was she's phenomenal dancer yeah. I mean, she's also a great spinner. She one of the one of the <laughs> answers. Yeah. She says, she says, um, a lot of you want to know if I get dizzy when I spin. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> like so, and she was so serious about it, like that, like yes. But if I fo- have a focal point, then you know, whatever. And I was just like, <gasps> oh, she's really answering this, and she said yes. So, she, but she keeps spinning. Yeah, thank you. Oh Brittany. man. Um, did you ever see any of her um, her residency in Vegas? Did you ever see any of the shows? No. Never saw it? I didn't. I saw, I think, three or four years ago, the Pieces of Me one. And, you know, I, I didn't dislike it because it's – but I, what I told people, it's like – it's basically like going to a club and the DJ only plays Britney songs because her dancers were way uh, more into it than she was. But how can you be at a at a, at a club and people are standing and dancing and cheering – when it's nothing but Britney songs. I mean, if you grew up on them, you'd like the show, but it wasn't, um, it was, it was towards the tail end of pieces of me and she was kind of mailing it in, but it was, well, of course she was, she's tired and she's, (laughs) she's not doing well. It's like, you don't, you don't have energy to dance if you're not happy. Yeah. And she certainly, I don't care who you are. Yeah. Um, I feel sad. I think she, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know what we do at this point. I know there's the free Britney movement going on right now, but, um, it's, uh, Something needs to be done because something's obviously not working right now. Um, okay. Uh, I don't know how much of a segue this is. I don't know how to segue into the next thing. But um, I, one thing that I did want to talk about is uh, before we get to your book and the divorce and everything that happened with that is, um, and I don't even know the details behind this, so I want you to fill me in. Um, you drank in the past. And I wanted to know when it started, how bad it got for you, and when did you quit? It started when I had my first drink at my, at my, I mean, at my parents' house when I was, I think, sixteen years old, and they went out, and I had a friend be like, "Let's have shots," and so I took a shot, and I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> mm. I mean, it's disgusting, but I enjoyed the feeling of it. Um, and then it kind kind of like I would drink once I found alcohol, I would drink on the weekends, you know, I'd go to parties and I found that I didn't have that. I don't know what it is, but I think I'm the one out of 10 people that has an allergy to alcohol, A- allergy, meaning abnormal reaction, abnormal, meaning I'm the one out of 10 people that when I drink, I feel like, okay yes, let's life is beginning. Finally, I feel free. Like, okay, let's do this. And it's like an upper. Mm. Whereas like if my mom has a glass of wine, she'll be, she'll have half and she'll be like, I'm, I'm tired. And that is just not how I responded to alcohol at all. It was like, it was kind of like my savior. Like I was just like, finally, I feel comfortable in my skin. I feel tall and funny and beautiful and confident. 
anything's possible. I definitely felt funnier. And that lasted until about 23 years old. Um, I had gotten arrested for not having my lights on in my car right after Second City. I was doing karaoke um, every Tuesday night after Second City. And this was in like 2012. And, you know, I, I got really lucky in the sense that, it, you know, the rest didn't do anything crazy for me, but it, it woke me up um, because I had been drinking a couple beers that night. And, you know, I just honestly think the universe was trying to tell me something and the multiple times that I would black out, like I blacked out a lot. And I just thought that that was normal. Like my body just does not digest alcohol the same way as some other people. And you know, it kind of when I stopped, I didn't ever think I would be somebody that didn't drink because I just loved alcohol and I loved dancing and going to clubs and all these things. But it it became I just felt so good when I quit and everything became clearer and my body felt better. And I was able to, you know, create this life that where I felt free and confident and goofy without it if that makes sense, by healing, you know, my past and getting tools and getting a new program of living. Um, because I didn't get a, I, you know, we don't get a rule book in life. Like we don't get the book of how to deal with life. And so I was very confused a lot of the time. I felt like I didn't know how to process my pain. You know, as, as an only child, I was told that I'm too sensitive and I didn't really have anyone to talk to, which is probably a good thing for my comedy because I'm just alone in my room doing faces in the mirror. And at the same time, I have no idea how to process my pain. So let me just drink and self-soothe. And it worked until it didn't anymore. Mm. And I stopped drinking. And that was at 23, you said? It's been... That was at 23. It's been nine years. Congratulations. I'm sure it's, you know, it's a, it's a day-to-day thing. Like everybody who's who's had that type of addiction, it's like, yeah, I haven't had a drink in nine years, but it's always still a, a day-to-day thing. Did, did you feel that you could only be funny during that time? Did you feel like you could only oh be my funny gosh. if you were drinking? Yes. Yes. I mm. was terrified. I mean, I was terrified to get, I mean, I would, I would hear people that were sober, you know, for a year or five years. And I was like, you're such a liar. Like, why wouldn't you drink? It just didn't make any sense. Like everybody I knew was drinking. I was also young. So it was like, that was the time. And I remember somebody said, you know, it's just today, just today, because I would freak out and I'd be like, yeah, but what about my wedding? Like, I have to, you know, have champagne at my wedding. And they were like, oh, my God, are you getting married? And I was like, no, I don't even have a boyfriend. But that's how much I would future trip Mm. into, like, how am I going to figure it out later? I have to be okay then rather than, no, it's just today, literally just today. And, yeah, it's nine years now, but it's taken however many days that is to do it one day at a time. And that's not just with alcohol. That's just with everything, everything in life. If you can stay in the day, it's manageable. But if you're future tripping, you're going to be in anxiety. And for the first six months, I was like, not funny. <laughs> like my humor just because I was dealing with so much trauma and and drama and my pain. And I was feeling everything because I had no numbing aid. And I was just sad. And I was like, well, there goes my humor. And it was terrifying. But then I took a stand-up class and started stand-up and realized that like not like all this like true courage rather than the liquid courage started forming within me to where I, you know, started my stand-up journey and I had an amazing time and it went really well. And I started becoming really confident. True confidence was 
arising within me. And then that's when I um, got on Vine and I felt really free in the world without needing anything. And that, that power is, I mean, I wouldn't replace it with anything. I love that I don't drink. I love that I don't think about it, that I don't need it. Cause it used to consume so much of my life. I'd be like, okay, so tonight's and I'm going to drink. I'm going to, and I was just like, what am I going to drink? Where am I going to drink? Blah, blah, blah. And I couldn't like, there was no time for me thinking about anything else. And now it's like, it just freed so much space. And it, I think the opposite is true. And my, my dad tells me all the time, he goes, you're so much funnier than you used to be. And I'm going, what? Cause you know, that, that's the, the artist's fear is when they lose their, their drugs or alcohol that they're not going to be in that place. And it's, it's the opposite, maybe not right away, but at the end of the day, I think it's all within us anyway. You know, you, you had mentioned earlier that you blacked out a lot when you drank, when you were in that, seven years of drinking between 16 and, and 23 was it something was it daily or was it when you just went out on the weekends it was i'm get, i'm going out to get blacked out no it was not daily at okay. all it was it was like um i never drink in the morning you know i if i if i would have compared to the people that i saw around me that said that they drank in the morning or they did heroin or they ended up in jail or all these things that i couldn't relate to i probably wouldn't have stayed sober but i was told to like you know in the in in a 12 step program i remember going and they said look for the similarities and that really saved me because i was like oh i i relate to everybody's feelings mm-hmm. you know i don't relate necessarily to their story but i relate to the feeling and that really really helped was I really suffer from, you know, not enoughism, feeling like I'm not enough in the world and I forget it daily. So I have to remind myself, hold on, I'm enough because I exist. I don't need to do anything to be enough and I get to choose and I have, you know, the universe on my side and I've changed my language with myself. And that's really been a huge transformation is being kind to myself, being loving, giving myself the the space to be where I'm at, whether it's sad or happy or funny or whatever. Um, I don't remember the question. <laughs> no, I was, it was the question was about how much did you drink? How much was it? Was yeah, it, no, like, no, it was like on long. the weekends. Okay, so it was yeah. a weekend. Thing. No, 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 just okay. on the weekends. Yeah, it wasn't. It could have gotten way worse. You know what I mean? It could have. They oh, yeah. say that alco- alcoholism is a progressive uh, illness, and it only gets worse, never better. So it it probably could have gone way worse. I'm really lucky that it didn't. Yeah. Just the weekends, maybe during the week, like a, a you know a glass of wine here and there. It wasn't always blacking out. It was that's why I didn't see it as a problem for the longest time because I was like, I don't drink in the morning, you know. <laughs> okay, I wanted to um, get into probably the thing that that really piqued my interest when it came to you because, like I said, I've been following you for a year and a half to two years, but I knew nothing about your personal life. I just knew you as the girls who the girl whose content I enjoyed on Instagram thought it was funny. And then I came across your Facebook post on March 1st of 2020 last year. And, um, I was like, Oh shit. Now what your Facebook post was, and I'm going to kind of set it up here and then have you fill everything in. Um, you met a guy in 2017, that guy, let's just call him Robert for the sake of conversation. Um, he proposed four months later, but you guys didn't run to the altar right away or anything. You had over a year engagement and then you finally got married in, um, in July of 2019. And then that Facebook post by you in March of 2020, where you basically said, 
you and him had tried counseling, didn't work, and you were separating, you were divorcing. But you kept it pretty vague at that point. And um, I, I didn't even, I wasn't even aware of any of this. And I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. And just got married in July. And she's saying, just went through three months of counseling and it's not working. We're separating. Um, it wasn't until later that you started going in depth on on what happened. Um, so from there, I guess kind of start in how you met this guy and what that feeling was. I believe that you moved as well uh, during all this. Kind of start there, and I'll kind of jump in when I feel like I have a question I need to ask because I know I've got a lot of questions. But uh, how did you, first off, how did you meet this guy, Robert? So I had just moved to, uh, to Instagram. <laughs> Sorry. I had just moved to New York from L.A. I had been there for three months living, you know, my single life or whatever. And I decided, okay, you know what, if I'm going to live in New York, I got to get my own apartment because, you know, at that time I wasn't sure if I was going to, it was going to be permanent or not. And I was like, I love it here. I'm going to get my own apartment anyway. Um, the day I moved in to my new apartment, I saw my friend's Instagram story and there was this guy in it. I had a familiarity with him. I didn't even see his face, but he was tagged. So I went to his page and I thought, oh my gosh, this guy, I feel like I know this guy. Not only is he so handsome, but he's funny, like, but in a weird, like strong weighted way, I just feel like I know him and it, but it said he was Australian, Australian bound, um, Scottish born in Scotland, but he was visiting LA. So that's a long story. But, um, I was sad. I was like, why is he in LA? Like I'm in New York. And I was like, this is so weird. I have never even met this guy. Why am I feeling sad? Okay. I got to DM him. I went to DM him and saw that he had already written me 18 months before. And it said, you shine unlike any other human I've seen in a very long time. I'm happy to see how you're channeling your light. So I read this message and I'm going, holy crap. That's what are the chances yeah. that this man already found me 18 months ago and I'm finding him. This is so weird. So I message him back. We go back and forth that night. He FaceTimes me and we FaceTime and within like a minute I hear in my mind, Oh, that's the man I'm going to marry. And I'm, you know, secretly kind of freaking out or FaceTiming for a couple hours and it's really intense. And I just feel like I know him. And the next day we FaceTime and we FaceTime again, we FaceTime again. He's, about headed to back to Australia and we decide obviously he should come meet me in person. Cause we're now at this point moving really fast as far as like spending time FaceTime each other yeah. instead of, instead of just keeping it FaceTime, let's meet in person. And, you know, before he even came flew from LA to New York to meet me in person, he had a coffee, a two hour coffee with my mom. Cause I told her like, Hey, this guy's going to come stay with me. And she's like, what should I meet him first? I was like, no. And then I told him that she said that. And he's like, Oh, I'd love to. And so he met my mom before he met me. He came to New York. Um, we met in Madison Square Park, 5.15 in the afternoon. I think it was a Friday. And we just held each other, uh, cried. I literally said, where have you been? No, he said that. He said, where have you been? He said, I've been looking everywhere for you. And it literally felt like a movie. We spent the week together. Um it was just so intense. I always called him. I start from then on to my friends. I'd be like, Oh, my husband's coming. Like in the beginning, I didn't even know his name because he went by like four different names, which is really confusing. Um, 
so I just called him my husband because I just knew that he was going to be the man I married. And, you know, all of what I was feeling, he seemed to be feeling too. He says that my hands have been in his dreams for years. And, and, you know, he said, I love you very quickly. And I said it right back. I can't explain it. I remember we were outside of Eddie Bauer on the la- one of the last days of this trip because I had to get a bit, really long jacket because I was cold and I wasn't prepared for New York winter. And the, the zipper was breaking and he got on a need to like zip the zipper and everybody walked by, like three people walked by and were like, say yes, say yes. Where's the ring? Where's the ring? And this girl even took a picture of it because it looked like he was proposing. And I just felt like that was so symbolic of what was to come. Hmm. And, um, okay. We spent, at, yeah, at I, the, I was like, I feel a question coming on. Yeah. At that. Okay. At this point, it's obviously moving very quick. You've, you've spent, like you said, spent a lot of time FaceTiming him. You met him for a week uh, in New York, and then I'm assuming he went on to Australia and you kept in touch then. But because everything was happening so quick, at any point during that time, were you telling yourself, slow down? This is too good to be true? Um, is I can't believe this is happening to me? Or what? what at, at any point, were you like, as much as you were into him and felt like it was right, was there a part of you telling you, this is too fast? I still don't know this guy well. I j- we no. just met. No. No. Okay. The the only thing that I can say that I was thinking was, how is this this how is this happening to me? Like, how did I get this lucky? Because I grew up with Titanic, The Notebook, my best friends, like oh. all these rom rom coms to where Moulin Rouge is a big one. <laughs> you and McGregor. He looked a lot like Ewan McGregor, and I feel like he must have imprinted on me. And so when I saw this man, I was like, man, I trust you. Um, so I was completely felt like all my hard work of being sober and doing the work and feeling like, you know, I'm ready. I felt like it had all paid off. And I was one of the lucky ones that, you know what? How is this happening? But it is happening, and I'm just going to be present with it and say yes um, to the situation. And you know, I I had a feeling that because they say when you know, you know. You know, there's people that are like, you know, when you know, you know. And I yeah. felt like, oh, I finally get that now. I finally understand what that means. Um, I met I met this man who I believe is my soulmate, and that we've had past lives together. In fact, when the first week when we met. I was telling him about the past lives and I I spoke very slowly because it was so intense in my body. And obviously this might sound crazy to some people, which is totally fine. Um, He, you know, we were both like crying because it felt like he remembered and I remembered. And it was just like, even telling my friends, they were just like floored by it. And then when they met him, they loved him. My mom loved him. Like, um, I remember telling my parents day two, I said, I met the man. I'm in a, my mom said, how'd the move go? I said, good. And I met the man I'm in a marriage. She goes, Oh wow. What a day. Because I'd never told my parents I met the man. Like I never talked about marriage. I'd never said that about any previous boyfriend. So when this happened, it just felt kind of like, okay, this is, I'm going to settle into it. There was a part where I had regret, like where I was worried that, Oh crap. Like I moved to New York to have this life. And now I'm here. I am with this guy, but I just felt, you know what? I can't control the timing. I'm just going to enjoy this while it's here. So the Australia thing, what happened with the move? Did he obviously, when you guys moved in together, was he just decided I'm going to go move to New York and live with you? He 
went back to Australia. He made a few trips back and forth um, before he engaged, uh, proposed in Australia where the river meet, meets the, it was like Margaret River where he proposed and I met his family. I said, of course. Um, it was at that time when we decided that he would uh, work in the mines a little bit longer and make some money and then move over to New York to live with me. Gotcha. And that was, he moved over about six months into the relationship. Gotcha. And then, like I said, you got married in July of 2019. And then things started to unravel and just in, in, in just a really like this story, like you said, it's almost not believable, uh, but it is. So tell everybody um, what happened after the marriage. So we had the wedding of our dreams. It was beautiful. Everything went perfectly. Um, it was very sponsored, which was really lucky for, you know, my dad who paid for the wedding. Um, just to give you reference, I spent every day with this man. Um, we became best friends. He treated me like a queen. Um, all my friends just said, you know, you met your perfect match and I felt it. And we danced, even we danced alike. Like we were very similar in a lot of ways. Um, and so we had our wedding and then a month later, so we had just moved into a house that I bought for us on Weddington street, which was really interesting. And <laughs> it's kind of ironic or whatever. Um, this is and in I New get the New wedding York, photos. New York at the time, right? This is in New York. No, this was that. So we moved back to LA before the wedding. Oh, you moved back to LA. Gotcha. Got it. Yeah. And a month after the wedding, I get the wedding photos. They're gorgeous. They look like a bridal magazine where wherever they post wedding photos, it looks like they, they could be that. Um, and my best friend asks to take me for to a coffee. I say, no, why don't you come look at the photos? They're like, no, we'd really like to take you to a coffee. And my best friend and his girlfriend sit me down and they both grab my arm and I'm like, Oh my God, what, what's going on? And they're like, uh, what we're about to tell you might be really hard to hear, but just know that we're going to be there for you no matter what along the way. And I honestly think that they, I felt like this rush from the top of my head down to my toes, like a sensation that I'd never felt before. Um, I thought they were going to tell me that, either my dad or my husband passed away. Like that's what, that's the fear that I had. And they said that this woman messaged my best friend and said, Manon's going to really need a friend right now because her husband has been uh, essentially cheating on her the last few weeks, sending me nude photos, nude videos, saying things like, I love you. I always have, you're my true queen. Manon's nothing. She's useless. She's boring. I'm about to blow up on the red carpet and I want you by my side and keep in mind, he had only done one non-union commercial. So hmm. I'm going this man, I'm, I'm freaking out. Obviously I, I'm actually more shocked. I'm looking at it because I, I not only am I looking at the screenshots of him actually saying these things, I, he's it's, it's his photo. It's he's, you know, when you know how a person writes, right. Yeah. You can tell their text is their text. And I'm like, there's no denying that this happened. So I'm re looking at this. My whole world just flipped upside down. Um, yeah, this is one month into a marriage. Like, uh, yeah. Uh. Yeah. And I'm unsure of what I'm supposed to do. I, I don't really know. 
I mean, this man, like I said, treated me like a queen. He, he was just the nicest, warmest person. So what are you talking about? Like, like not only fine, I'm not, it's not okay. I don't condone, you know, sending nudes or whatever, but the part that messed me up was that he, you know, just shit on his new wife, you know, like, why did he have to throw me under the bus? That was so weird. Like if you have a, he never said that he had a problem with me or that I would like, he never said these things to me. So the fact that he was saying them behind my back to a stranger on Instagram show that he was clearly not right in the head. That's what I took it as. Um, so I went home, I packed a bag, I had the key in my hand and I sat outside, waited for him to come home. Cause at this point I'm like, who did I marry? Like, who is this person? And confronted him. He admitted to everything and said, you know, I'm sick and I need help and I'm so sorry. And I don't know the difference between fantasy and reality. And at that point I spent 48 hours, you know, caring for him because he was crying a lot and I felt bad and I was showering and saging him. And, and then I finally was like, you need to leave because I just need to process this because I wasn't clearly taking care of myself. But I, I think I just realized, Oh, he's in a lot of pain. Cause like a happy person would never do this. Like only a really, you know, distraught disturbed person needs to do this kind of thing um as far as like talking shit about me i know that there's a lot of <sighs> instagram doesn't make it easy to have faithful relationships i'm sure but that being said it's also you know if you have good morals and ethics um it's not that hard to stay faithful so so yeah we spent a month apart and tried to heal and then came to the conclusion that, you know, even though everybody told me, run, run, this is way too soon for this to have happened. Um, you're not married for 10 years. You don't have kids. Like this is, there, there's no reason why this man should have done this. You've given him everything, which I had. I'd paid for his flights. I, you know, paid for rent. He didn't spend, he, he, you know, it's like I, I did do everything, <laughs> you know, mm. and I decided, you know what, like he says he wants to change. I do believe people can change, even though everybody around me was like, no, people don't change. And I said, but they can if they want to. Like, I see people every day that like, when they want to change, they can. And, and so I had hope. And so we went to three months of therapy. And it, it was really helpful. And I'm really glad that I did it because it made it so that when I did walk away, I felt like I really did give it my all. But essentially, it was like that was strike one. It was a really big strike. It could have killed us. But then there was two more strikes that gave me the full courage and wherewithal to go. I'm, I can't do this. I'm, I'm finally going to take care of myself because I don't want to build on something that's completely broken. And also, I don't want to be always looking over my shoulder of who you're texting. That's just not the way I want to live. Yeah. And it had nothing to do with my love for him. It had everything to do with, honestly, the love for myself. When you found out about this girl from your best friend and his, his girlfriend, did the timeline, did it start after the wedding or had he been in contact with this girl before you guys even got married? So it had, it had started bef uh, after the wedding okay. with this girl. And who yeah. was this girl? Just a random on Instagram? Or just, just, yeah. Okay. Random girl on Instagram that apparently lived in Colorado she wasn't right in the head either, to be honest, like, because I, you know, talked to her a little bit online. And the minute I said anything about, um, you know, that takes two to tango kind of thing, she just, <laughs> she went a little nutso. And I was like, oh, okay, she's, 
she can't even admit that part she had a played a part in this because um, you knew he was married. You followed me first, all these things. So people get desperate, you know, on Instagram to kind of get that kind of attention. And I'm sure made her feel good or whatever. But it really wasn't until December 2019 after the um, we were like on our third month of therapy where I was like, I'm hanging on God, like, please help me. I'm, I'm at 2%. I just need a sign. And I got my signs, you know, I, I, he worked at, um, a gym that I won't name, but there's a lot of Australian people that work there. And, you know, I got information from people at that gym that apparently he, like when girls found out that he was married, they were shocked because he wouldn't wear his ring. And apparently he, you know, asked for their, like, he was just doing it all, all along. Um, and I didn't know it, you know, I was kind of, I, I don't know. I, I was very trustworthy. I grew up really sheltered, believing everything that everybody says. And honestly, like I played a huge part in this, you know, I didn't have, I wasn't, I never questioned his motive. I was like, no, I'm so lovable. I'm so funny. I'm, you know, I'm cute to look at and I have a lot of heart to give. Why, why wouldn't someone want that? You know, like I didn't think anyone would use me to get citizenship or, followers or whatever those things are I didn't see that as value I saw my heart as the value and so that's why I didn't question what he was up to when we met now I barely wrote about it in my book like my book is about my life and you know drinking and my parents and comedy and vine and getting married and meeting the guy and there was like there's like a, a paragraph on his indiscretion because the rest of the the whole point of why I wrote about it was not to bash him but was to say hey i'm not going to close my heart because of another man's pain so yes he hurt me and it, i was devastated but i'm not going to take it personal and what i'm going to do is i'm going to grieve but i'm going to keep my heart open because i do deserve love because i think a lot of people when this kind of thing happens they write off men altogether and then they generalize and say all men suck and whatever and so that was my kind of note to just say you know he sucks <laughs> not all men he does and some men do and here look out for this and here are the signs like i have warning signs now that i use that i didn't have before you know so for me it made me so much stronger and by the way when this book came out you better believe i got so many messages from women that he had been messaging the entire relationship so I went, the reason why I talked about it now on podcasts and I'm more elaborate and I don't, I had so much consideration when I was writing my book. I was like, well, I don't want him to look bad and I want him to still feel okay. And this is the point is not to, but then when I got all these messages from these women and some of, some of which he dated before me and some of which dated after, they all had the same exact story. They said, everything that you wrote was his exact words to me. Like he has a, a, a I don't even know a script that he uses with every, like with every woman. Mm. And so my consideration went, screw this. Like, this is really important. Like, this is bad. Like they're like, and he did, he hasn't stopped. Like he's still, he's still doing that. And I pray for him. I really do hope he finds, you know, peace in the world. I like when I think of him, I pray for him and that's my work for him. And that's where mostly my work for me, because I don't want to harbor that, that anger. But, um, it was really intense to get those messages. Like oh, I, I got so many, I got, so we had, he, the second day we met, he showed me a song 
he said, listen to the song and let me know what you think. And I listened to it and I teared up and I was like, that's our wedding song. He said, I know it is. That's why I haven't shared it with a single soul. I've saved it for us. So when we were long distance, I would listen to the song and I would cry and I would feel so moved. And it was actually the song that we danced to at our wedding. I get a message from a girl that he dated in 2016 for a year who lived in Canada. And she messaged me and she goes, man, and read, I wish I would have messaged you sooner, but reading your experience with Robert, we'll say, um, was like reading my exact experience with him. I paid for flights. She named every member of his family. And then she said, and by the way, I know you don't name the song in your book, but I'm going to guess that it's this song. And she named the song. She goes, cause that was to be our wedding song. So at that point I, I go, screw this. I'm not going to have any more consideration. He lied to me from day one. The whole thing was a sham. Yeah. He like completely conned me. Yeah. This is, this isn't just a guy who cheated. This is a scam artist. I mean, the level of narcissism as well, <clears throat> for sure. Um, I mean, so this all happened, like I said, you posted in, in March of 2020, which is basically two weeks before the pandemic hits. So when you yeah. were, when this all went down, was there ever a thought about writing a book or the pandemic hits and you're just like, I just went through all this. This could be a, you know, but like I said, this, like you said, this wasn't the main part of your book. So what was the inspiration behind the book? Was it the pandemic along with what you went through or were you always planning on writing a book? I was always planning on writing a book. Um, I just, there was more to have happened before I wrote it, I guess. So when this happened and the pandemic happened, it was like the universe aligned because I had a publisher reach out and say, Hey, I want to help you write a book. And so not only did I have somebody outside of me say, Hey, I want to help you. The pandemic gave me the time and the space to do that. And that's why it was like, started writing it in January and the book came out in July. It was a very, very, if you read it, it's very quick. It's really, it's a really easy read. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of people love it. They think it's meaningful. There's lessons in the back. Um, but I think this experience needed to happen to really push me to write the book because it started feeling like this story happened to me to the right person so that I could tell it because I guess it had to be told. The story like doesn't feel like it's supposed to be just kept for me to you know mull over it's like i don't know i just feel like i'm supposed to talk about it to help because not not only did women that had been betrayed by him and not even betrayed that's not played because it's like betrayed is when you what is that like when you build something with someone and then they backstab you this was like completely con artist yeah. work like people kept telling me to watch dirty john and i did i don't know if you've seen it but it kind of reminds oh, yeah. me of that yeah, without without the uh, murder. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, without the murder. <laughs> yeah. I was actually going to say that earlier. I was going to say this is Dear John without the murder. That's uh, really Dirty John. Dirty John. I, uh, Dear John. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Dear John's with Amanda Seyfried, where she sings. Never mind. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's definitely not that. I yeah. wanted it to be that. I, that would have been great. I, I had high hopes for that, but this is intense stuff, and so many women have, you know, and men, they've reached out, being like you gave me the courage to stand up. I mean, I known he's been cheating for this long and I finally said something and da, 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 like I've been holding a grudge for 10 years and you finally allowed me to let it go. And I'm like, this is not about me. Like sometimes we just have to do things for the higher purpose, you know, mm -hmm. otherwise I wouldn't have written the book because I would have gotten in my own way. Cause I love to do that and be like, Oh, I just don't need that. You know, I'm not going to have this matter. Cause the books, you know, there's a lot I would change in it. There's a lot that I forgot. There's, I held a lot back as far, definitely as far as the marriage goes and the divorce. But, um, 
you know, other things too, but it felt important to just get it out. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, totally understandable. Where are you at with him right now? Is this someone, is this someone that you hate? Do you speak to him at all? I mean, not that you go. We live together. No, just kidding. <laughs> yeah, okay. you go, I forgave him after We're all that. We're getting married. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so he's changed. No, um, um, I don't hate him. I actually uncomfortably saw him two weeks ago. So I hadn't seen him since after the book came out. After the book came out, his whole attitude changed. So like when I even wrote that post, he he obviously hated it because he's like, well, now everybody's going to know. And I I don't know if you've read the post, but it's like, I know you have, but yeah. the audience listening, it's so, in my opinion, very neutral. It's very vague. I don't. It's very vague. Yeah, it's very vague. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so that was, a, again, right when I didn't know that he fully conned me. It was just whatever. Yeah. Um. So we had decided, you know what? We'll, you know, we can be friendly. It's all good. And I think he's still, I think he didn't want me to tell the story. So he's still being nice because once the book came out, his whole attitude changed and he changed his number and all these things. And, and then I hadn't seen him in a year and I saw him two weeks ago, which was upsetting because I'd kind of hoped that he went back to Australia where he lived but he's still lurking around studio city. <laughs> I'm being kind of mean right now, but I'm just kind of humorous yeah. with my words. Um, and I saw him and I, I know I don't have hate because the first instinct I had was to roll down my window and, and I was all bright eyed, like ready to say hi. <laughs> and it wasn't until like seconds later that I was like, what am I doing? I, I hate him, <laughs> but like my gut action is just be kind to everybody. And like, it's okay. Friendly. Da, 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 da. So I don't, I don't think I hate, and we didn't say anything to each other. We just looked at each other and it was, ooh, it was creepy, but, um, and it kind of ruined my day. Um, just because of all the unresolved things. Like, I feel like I don't have any answers. Like I would love to actually sit down with him with somehow a lie detector test or something to know. Like, I just want to know, I want to hear him say, um, no, I played you. You know what I mean? Like he still won't admit to any of these things or he hadn't, at least in the last year, like we haven't talked and it just sucks. I'll never know. I have to just be settled with the fact that I'll never know what actually went down in his mind. I think him and I had completely two completely different experiences. I'm living out my fantasy, having the best time of my life. And he's figuring out ways not to get caught. You know what I mean? So no, I don't hate him. Like I said, when I think of him, I send him love and I pray for him in a non-condescending way. Like I literally, it just makes me feel better. And I really do hope that he finds peace to where he doesn't feel like he has to. I honestly, it like must suck to feel like you have to compliment and love bomb someone in order for them to love you back. That like, he just doesn't feel like he's enough. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. honestly what I think it boils down to is we overcompensate in many other areas when we don't feel like we're enough. And so does does he not know that you know about all the other women that the whole relationship was a scam or maybe he does cuz he's listened or heard podcasts that you've done that I don't know. Yeah, I mean he do, he does know that I know if he's listened to podcasts, but if he has not listened to one podcast then I don't think he knows that I know. It sounds like friends. Wait, you don't yeah. know that I know that we know that you know. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't. I don't know what he knows. <sighs> I have no idea. Yeah, I, that's interesting. I, 
because it's like for all we know the only thing he knows is of the one girl uh that you confronted him on and he said yeah and uh but he doesn't know about the girl in canada that had the same exact song like that stuff we don't even know if he knows that that you know i'm confusing myself here but yeah i that's it's you know I, you know, I, I, I want to ask you, like, how do you bounce back from something like this? Clearly you have. But when I ask that, I guess what I'm thinking is, and I don't know if you've dated post-divorce and if, if and when you had, since your ex hid everything so well from you and you were completely blindsided by this, how do you know the next guy that you're involved with isn't doing that? Like, does it make it especially hard now because of what you went through with him? It absolutely could, and I have dated. I've been dating someone for over a year now, and I got really lucky to where I was friends with this person uh, a little bit before we started dating, so he knew my situation and he knew what I had just been through. I also got really lucky that when um, my ex moved out, my, my, my girlfriend Shannon moved in from Canada, and She's just like a light fairy and she felt, you know, she brought so much laughter and joy to my life that it was really healing and nurturing that I didn't have to like do it alone, if that makes sense, the grieving. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, you would think that it would be, I mean, there's been moments where I, I get nervous, but I think the biggest thing is, is, and the therapist pointed this out. She, he said, you know, cause I've talked to him post, um, the couples therapy, he said, man, and one thing that you kept saying throughout was, I just don't trust you. There's just my body. I just don't trust you. And that gave me reassurance because the body knows when it doesn't trust a person. And I think that's the one thing that I wish if I could do it all over again, which I wouldn't because I learned so much, but I would have trusted my body more instead of his words because my body gave me signals of like not being open to him certain times energetically feeling like that's weird. Like my gut reaction. I I wasn't listening to that. I was listening to his words and, and letting them overpower my own, you know, energy and body, you know, energy doesn't lie. The body doesn't lie. People lie. And the body is so much smarter than the mind. Like it just knows things. And so I can feel such a difference with my, my current partner now where I just, energetically I don't feel heaviness I feel open I feel free and I listen to that and not only that like it's just such a different experience like looking back I can see where I painted all the red flags white but I didn't know it at the time you know I was just really trusting and whatever yeah um it's a very different experience there's no hype you know I haven't even shared it on social media because I'm not you know I brought everybody along the ride with my ex and everybody fell in love with our love story and all these things and you know, I was quite embarrassed when I, it didn't work out. And so I thought, you know what, I'm not going to hype it up. And it's just been this slow build, but it's been such a beautiful, patient relationship to where when I said, I love you, finally, he didn't say it back. He took his time and waited two weeks to tell me. And I I actually, even though it was like, Ooh, in the moment, I really respected that he's functioning with what's right with him. And he he's taking his time and he's such a man. And I just really, it's such a different experience. Yes, there's been times where I've been nervous about his phone, but the whole time he goes, man, and please look at my phone anytime. I want you to feel so comfortable. And that's been really, really special is that I can just feel that he's 
ethical. He came, has a good childhood. His parents have been married 40 years. Unfortunately, my ex-husband has a traumatic, horrible childhood and a horrible teen life where it's just like, if you heard these things, you'd be like, how are you not messed up? But I, you know, he was also, he said he was sober for as long as I was. And I thought maybe he healed that. And I thought, wow, that all, all that makes you stronger, you know, but I think you have to really look at a person's childhood to see not, not generally, but it's, it's a rule of thumb. Like if a person had a really good upbringing and they had a good model of love and relationships, then that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, I mean, I did not know that. So congratulations. That's that, I'm really, I'm happy to hear that for you after that going through that, that you did. I mean, that's, yeah, I'm really glad too, that I, my, you know, I think what opened my heart was my, the dog that I got, like I didn't even want a dog. And that this dog came in January, 2020, which was perfect timing. Um, and then this man came in my life and, and it's all just been a slow build, but keeping my heart open was a huge thing. Cause if I hadn't, then I wouldn't have, you know, allowed this new partner to kind of help me heal. I mean, there was many nights where I would just start bawling my eyes out with my current partner and he just told me, he goes, man, if you cry every day for the next year, I don't even know if that'd be enough for what you went through. Like, he's just so compassionate and he doesn't shame me for what I feel. And he's been a really good you know, healing, uh, I don't even know what to call it. He's just a good place of healing. Cause it was just so recent when everything went down. And so, plus I had a partner in the pandemic, which was great. <laughs> and yeah. I wasn't alone. Cause I, I think about how the universe really had my back. Cause imagine if I was in the pandemic with, with him. Um, yeah. Like that would have been horrible. Oh. So I well, feel like the universe took, took him away. Perfect, perfect time. Timing. Yeah. And yeah. just in, in relationships in general, since you seem really in tune with this stuff, having been through that and now being in a great one for the last year, you say, you know, there's there's this saying in relationships that don't let, you know, don't let past relationships affect your future ones. And I've I've always kind of found that to be, I, I don't know, like not deep enough because it's almost like how can you not like if you're dating somebody and they show you X characteristic, like whatever. And that ends up being one of the reasons you end up breaking it off. And then someone in your future that you date starts showing the same characteristics that an ex did. How does your mind not go to a place of, geez, this is exactly what my other ex did? Like, that's what I mean. Like, it's got to affect it somehow. You have to take the knowledge that you learned from past relationships and you have to apply it to future ones. I don't see how you can just say, don't let anything in the past affect your future. But I want your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I, I I think you absolutely do. And you you have to by nature, like you can't help but compare because yeah. we're here to survive. So, you know, if I that's one of the reasons why I'm saying yes to this current partner is because I'm listening to my body because I know that I, I'm looking to see what words he's using. Like it's I have a different lens now. And I think that's really helpful that I went through what I went through. And I'm using the good and the bad to move forward in a stronger way to prevent it ever happening again. So, you know, if you have a guy that says, I love you the day he meets you or whatever, that's bad for anybody. That's not good. You, they don't know you. And I didn't, I didn't have that. You know, it feels obvious now looking back, I can see like, what was I thinking? Like literally what was I actually thinking? Um, but you know, young, dumb, love is blind, all that stuff. Um, I think it's important to, pay attention to what's good about a person and what's not good about a person to make the decision for your current partner. And if you need to backtrack, 
and use your lessons in past relationships. I think that's absolutely necessary and a must. Yeah, you don't want to bring all the trauma. Like, it wouldn't be great if every day I checked my boyfriend's phone because my ex messed up. Yeah. It's like at some point I have to know, like, I have to trust and let that go, you know, and not bring not bring my past wounds and bleed all over the new guy. Yeah. <laughs> I ha- it's my job to heal the past wounds and to move forward with an open heart. And, you know, if anything comes up that seems fishy, pay attention to it and actually bring it to the light, not not overlook it. Well, I appreciate you sharing that because that's a that's a hell of a story, and it's obviously very personal. And like you said, you there was a part of you that felt embarrassed about it because you had brought everybody that followed you along in that journey with your ex, and then to have it end so abruptly in the way it did, um, yeah. But to to now open up about it, and for finding more stuff out, and it really is. It really, it, without the children and the murder, it really is a Dirty John story because you were engaged and married to a con artist. And I mean, yeah. I don't know how many people in the world can say that, um, but the fact that you share maybe your the story, writer of Dirty John can say that. I mean, maybe <laughs> maybe it happens more than we think. Yeah. I, I hope not. But yeah, you'd hope not. <laughs> there's some people out there that are just not right, and they're willing to go to any length to get their needs met, even if it means, you know, hurting somebody and it's not good but it is something to kind of look out for and there's these there's like now we have these red flags that we can share with each other and look out for for sure and i think that's a good thing i think i think it's a good thing i don't know if i would have listened to them if at the time it was happening because i was just so sure of what was going on and that's where that's the part i had to look at is was my part of you know what i attracted this i said yes to this where didn't i listen to myself why did i allow this thing and this thing and why did i pay for flights like if he really wants me he would come up with the money i should have just paused and been like hey this is this is fast so i'm just going to take a step back and if i would have said let me take a step back would that mean he would leave and maybe i was afraid he would leave and all these things like i've had to really look at why i did what i did cuz i i can i can be impatient and maybe you know, because I am responsible. If I'm not responsible, then I can't heal it. Like, there's a lot I can blame on him. Most of it, I can just blame on him. That's fine. Yeah. And I also want to look at myself and my side of the street. Did you find out after the fact that that he was just, like you said, paid for flights, you paid for everything, or paid for a lot of things? Was he basically, like, did he have horrible credit and no money? Like, was this guy just broke and yeah. using you that way too? Yeah, both hmm. of those things. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, what a kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. It's, yeah. it, honestly, it makes no sense. It's like, he was covered in tattoos, which is fine. No judgment. He tattooed my name across his chest without telling me. And at the time, it was just so romantic. And I was like, well, if it was anybody else, it would be fine. But you're going to be my husband, so it's so romantic, whatever looked pretty dumb when I saw the videos of him sending to the other girl with my name on his chest in the kitchen that I bought the house in. So Ugh. this man, like he just, he, he's a red, he's a walking red flag. And I didn't like, he actually, the sweatshirt that I saw in two years, two, two weeks ago, he was wearing red. It's just, the whole thing is ironic that I was like, sign me up because he had an accent and he was hot. He's like, no, that's not an excuse. That does not make for a good partner. Like beware. No, like, Again, tattoos, no shame in that. A lot of people love them. Tony Robbins says that uh, tattoos, covered in tattoos, is is a sign that their number one need is significant, to feel significant, and which is fine. But those people tend to be violent, 
they tend to go to any length to get that attention. So hmm. just a thought. Yeah, it's interesting. Not generalizing. <laughs> that's not all people with tattoos. That's just yeah, no. something that I heard and I went ding, ding, ding. Yeah, because it applied to him. Doesn't mean it's a universal thing. Doesn't mean it's everybody. But for sure, it applied to him. And yeah, it's just a, it's just a, it's a crazy, crazy story. And you look back on it, like now you see, like you said, you were covering all the red flags white. And, um, I, I, you know, I, I applaud you for, for speaking out about it. And I am sorry that it happened to you for, you know, coming from someone doesn't even know you. It just, when I heard it the first time when you went on the, uh, share your scare podcast was when I first heard you tell the story. And that's when I had message you on Instagram. And I was like, I was fascinated by your story. I didn't know any of it. I just followed you on Instagram as someone who's really funny, who puts out a lot of good content. And I had no idea. And then I heard that. I'm like, I want to have you on. So um, before we end things, I, I do want to talk about Instagram content, because that is your that is your thing. I mean, you are um, like on TikTok, you're on Instagram. And we all know now that Instagram content is a thing and you can live, you can make a living just being on Instagram um, and, you know, promoting stuff and product and hawking product and stuff like that. But, you know, when I follow people, I mean, I cover the bachelor world and those people are very vapid in, in the stuff that they post. Nobody, I don't think anybody in the bachelor and bachelorette world really posts good content. It's just like, here's an ad because I have a lot of followers. You've gotten, I think you're at 750 on, on Instagram and you said 1.5 million on TikTok because your stuff is good and it's funny. So I don't know. How do you curate what you want to do on an Instagram post? Cause you've done different things. And I look at it and I'm like, wow, that's just like really original, really funny. Like that's what I appreciate about influencers and their content is that what is original and what is funny that I haven't seen 10,000 different variations of. So when you wake up in the morning, are you, are you nervous? Like I got to produce something today or what, what's your thought process on how often you want to put stuff out? Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, thank you for saying that. It's, it's really nice to be acknowledged because I often compare myself to those bachelor bachelorette people oh, oh, that have don't. 2 million followers. <laughs> I'm like, how do you have 2 million followers? You just, you're you, on one TV yeah. show. This isn't fair. You've done nothing um, so, to earn that. Yeah. Literally. And I've been slaving away over here for seven, eight years, trying to make you laugh. It is what it is. Um, I, well, first of all, it was really hard to make people laugh when I was going through hell, but I still would make content um, because it makes me happy. It It's something that has always brought me joy. I had a video camera growing up. I love filming things. I love playing characters. I love music, love dancing to music. So it's not something that feels like work to me. And it's not something that makes me nervous at all. Stand up makes me nervous. Mm. Um, reading aloud makes me nervous. Uh, you know, trying to recite history or something might make me nervous, but filming myself being goofy and filming sketches, doing characters is something that is just like home, like a warm bath to me, which I think is really, I'm really lucky that I exist in a time where that is a possibility to have these devices that we can create instantaneously from and post and have, you know, the reward of people seeing it, which is great. Um, I do like the reward of um, people in person laughing, like stand up was so physically rewarding. It was just like, ah, like I'm with these people in this room. So sometimes I 
don't feel that's why I got to just stay out of the results because that's not why I do it. I don't do it to get numbers. That's always like a cherry on top. I do it because not only does it feel good and I love it, but it, you know, apparently it's bringing a lot of joy to people, which is amazing. Like the messages I get are just so incredible. I actually think I should be creating more um, daily. I do it when I feel inspired. I do it when I'm sometimes I'll be watching something and then I'll, I'll get a hit of inspiration to create it. The thing I think I do right is I don't delay. So even with my book, like I was just like, okay, let's go. Like I, I, I catch it when the moment's hot. Like a lot of my comedy is all about timing. Like the, the, the humor that I find funny is more so about timing, not so much the words that I say, but the timing of, of which I say the words and the voices I use and the, the rhythm of it. I'm, I'm like a, a rhythmic comedian, if that makes sense. Um, so that matters to me is like, if I catch a funny moment and if I'm enjoying myself more than likely people will be enjoying themselves watching me enjoy myself. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> no, you know, it totally does. And like I said, you've got a lot of followers on TikTok and um, obviously on Instagram as well. And that's where, I look for, you know, I think I'm, I'm trying to think of some of the people that really, I mean, you probably know that I, I, I got to believe, you know, Matt and Ariel, cause Matt was a big vine guy. Mm-hmm. You, I, and, I've made if we, he was my vine partner. One of them. Oh, okay. He, he vined with Ariel and me and we have a whole series of me pining away for him and him declining me. <laughs> and it was, it was, that's how I met Matt on vine. I mean, um, we had a whole group of people that we vine together and, and then took you know him ten years to be patiently waiting for Ariel, and the fact that they're together now it's just the sweetest thing. They're both amazingly beautiful, hilarious people. I think their Instagram content is top notch. Like they're they're some of the best out there. I mean, I I like your stuff. I like Matt and Ariel's stuff. I think um, who's the, Allison and Twitch. I think uh-huh. I, I love their stuff as well. There's just people that put out great content, not stupid content or, or just, you know, littered with ads. Like, you know, we talk about the Bachelor and Bachelorette people and, yeah, they might have a million and a million and a half followers, but they don't put out content that's you know funny or original or whatever. It's just I have 1.5 million followers. If I do an ad and point one of them respond to it, I get paid X amount. Like, that's all they're doing is like, here's an ad because I have a ton of people that follow me because they watch the show. So... I'm still jealous. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I wish I had that kind of engagement and that following. So I've thought you many times I've been like, maybe I should just be the bachelorette with my story. Oh my God. Now I have a story. Yeah. It's, it's insane. No, I mean, it's and it's, but yeah, I really, I really appreciate the, I can tell you put time and effort into, um, your posts. And so, yeah, I've just, I've always been a Thank fan. I, I came across you one day, like I said, I was, it might've been just when I was doing a search and I saw a video and I was just like, this is funny and I want to follow her. And I Thank have ever you. since, and um, just wanted to say, you know, keep up the great work. I'll always be a fan. I, I appreciate you once again coming on and, and sharing the story for those that don't know it. And if you uh, want to know more about you and your background, the book is called Funny How It Works Out, Personal Stories and Lessons on How I Got My Shit Together. Uh, I will link to it on Amazon uh, when this podcast goes up. So, man, and thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it, and good luck with everything uh, in the future. Thank you so much. This has been so fun. And I really, really appreciate you and your space of 
holding it. Oh God, I can't see. This is where I messed up. I'm like, how do you just say words? Um, I just thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank uh, I you appreciate for acknowledging it. my content that I work very hard on no, daily. No, I, I always will give props uh, for good content. And I think you have one of the better content pieces out there and platforms <laughs> out there. Where everyone, I'm losing my words now. So anyway, uh, let's just end it's this. Transferring to you. It's contagious. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, uh, yeah, no, congratulations with everything and good luck in the future. And, uh, we'll be in touch. Okay. Thanks, Manon. Wow. Thank you so much to Manon for that. And, um, for those that don't follow her on Instagram and TikTok, if you like that kind of stuff, go do it. Great, funny content. If you like what Matt and Ariel do, you'll appreciate, uh, what Manon does. Same kind of stuff. Just very funny stuff. That's original. You could tell thought was put into it. It's smart comedy. It's not just silly stuff. Sometimes a bit silly. Like she said, she's she's very into it. Physical humor, making faces and stuff like that. But what a story about her ex-husband. I mean, that doesn't happen very often, like I said. I, and she said, maybe there are more con artists out there than we know of. I don't know. But the amount of time and effort that guy must have put into doing all that and you heard some of the things that he would say and do with her the love bombing and uh, you know this song that i chose and just uh yeah and he's got a girl in canada who had the same exact song like fascinating fascinating story i hope you all um if you weren't familiar with it you are now i hope you enjoyed that but it was great to have her on and i'm so glad that um, she has bounced back from that and has been in a happy relationship for the last year did not know that so good for her and, um, you know, I'm, I root for people like Manon who had to deal with something like that and then to come back and, um, produce the comp content that she does on her social media platforms. Uh, I, I, I respect that. So thanks again to Manon uh, for coming on and sharing that story with us. I know she's shared it on a few other podcasts, but you know. I don't know how many of you um, are, were aware of Manon before this. So I, I knew it would be a story that a lot of people who are interested in, you know, The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and follow relationships and, and love following The Bachelor relationship couples. Can you imagine if this happened to one of them? Like, that'd be even, that'd be front page Us Weekly News. But uh, this crazy story, I mean, one month after your wedding, you find that out? Devastating but glad she's bounced back from it. Thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please rate, subscribe, and review in Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. So for Amanda Matthews, I'm Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in, and we will talk to you next week. See you.